Welcome to this week's edition of Record Roundtable, where we talk about an artist or a band or a band leader. This week we're talking about Miles Davis. This is Caleb Robinson speaking. I'm here with... I'm Dex. Jared. I'm Tyler. That was quite quick. Thank you. And once again, this week we are talking about Miles Davis. And how does everybody feel about <laughs> listening to Miles Davis? Let's start with Dax this time. Okay. I I greatly enjoyed it. Uh, I'm a big jazz fan. He he has like his own uh, type of jazz. Many which, types of jazz, really. Many, really, yeah. Uh, so that was very interesting to listen to. Uh, I haven't listened to too much of him, really. Uh, good, good weeks. Good weeks. Good week. Yeah. Save, saving it there. Thank you. Tyler? Miles Davis is good. Jazz is good. Everyone should listen to jazz. He doesn't like you calling it jazz. It's social music. Yeah, that's what he said in the movie that we turned. That as you mentioned to me is fake. fake he said it so. in real life too. I watched an interview. Did he? He didn't like the term jazz. Social music is good. Miles Davis is good. Very good. Made many changes to the genre and uh, put out some good albums. He really does do his like own thing though. It's not really <clears throat> like jazz as other people did it. Like well, that. he kind of explores different things. Like he went to modal, you know, at one point, right? Which was kind mm-hmm. of already kind of blue is really where that started. Yeah, but it was already some, it was in existence, and he said, "I like what you're doing here, so I'm just going to do it." Yeah. So yes and no. <coughs> I mean, jazz is like, a, honestly, maybe it's the most broad music genre. Yeah. Because really, Quite. it could be a lot of things. You like jazz? I like jazz. I was waiting for that. Someone had to do it at some point. It had to be done. I'm the comic. You're the funny guy. Hey, funny guy, tell us a joke. I, uh, it was very difficult for me. I don't like music like this. I like words and I don't like 25 minute songs. So it's, it's hard. It's not my cup of tea, but I, I did the deed and it kind of became soothing. Uh, but it was hard to start with it. Sure. And uh, I don't know. I just don't know anything about it. And yeah. it's hard. And I, that's what I kind of like. The, the things I wrote down were just nonsense. I wrote down a uh, Hey Arnold theme song. Yeah, that works. <laughs> that's jazz. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. I wrote down that Miles Davis is superior elevator music. Well, it's more like elevator music is inferior jazz. Yeah. Well, that's not sure. It's either way. When the elevator music didn't come first, the that's jazz true. came first. I know. That's true. But when you think of, but if I were on an elevator and it's playing music, I would not be able to say, hey, that's Miles Davis or anybody else that is jazz. Yeah. Well, they can't afford Miles Davis on elevators. So. Probably not. You can barely afford him on vinyl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my thoughts on it. I, I will say that, and I understand, like, how difficult it is to come through, like, I find the, this much music. I find the man <clears throat> way more interesting than the music. That's fair, too. But He's it, a very interesting man, and we will definitely dig into him as a person for sure. Yeah. Um, but I did try as much as I could to. So what happened was, was that I had initially made a very, very large, comprehensive playlist of music for Miles Davis. It was probably somewhere in the realm of 15, 16 hours. It was like 13 and a half four, hours. Yep. 13, 14 hours? Yep. Yeah, 13, right around 13, 40 maybe. And I started adding to it. Yeah, well, I'm mad because I was in the middle of some of those albums that you removed, and I was a good way through the whole thing. You could still listen to I it. didn't know what they were anymore because oh. you took them off. I didn't know which ones you would put in there. Oops. So then I just had to not... Well, my apologies. So what I ended up doing was I made a playlist of kind of what was the essential, the essential of the essential. Not to say that all of it wasn't really essential because there's a lot of very, very good music from Miles Davis in many, many different realms of jazz music. And instead, I have this kind of condensed version where you can kind of get the idea of the different time periods of his music and the different shifts that occurred in his music. And then there was an entire, like, 10-hour playlist on top of everything that was just kind of like, you know, this is also very good, but you don't have to understand it. 
So I did my best to try and like condense Miles Davis, but it's so difficult because there's so much that Miles Davis did in his time as a musician. So for anyone who is kind of a big Miles Davis fan who would be listening to this, because maybe you're seeking this out to listen to something about Miles Davis, the albums that I did include that we, you know, we all for sure had the chance to listen to are Round About Midnight, Miles Ahead, Milestones, Kind of Blue, Sketches of Spain, In a Silent Way, and Bitches Brew. So those were kind of like the biggest shifts in his music that were, I mean, really well received. Because there was kind of the 80s shift that occurred as well that was kind of still within the electric period of sound, but is kind of its own entity in a lot of ways. Um, Jared, I believe you said that that was something that kind of still interested you, was that the electric time period. Yes, it was interesting. I liked the incorporation of guitar and drums and, uh, you know, that, that kind of music. Yes. I, I found, I think I found the electric period to be maybe one of the most influential periods of music because at the time so many people kind of bucked it in the jazz community and were like, no, we don't do this. It was, I also found this, I learned an interesting fact yesterday so tyler you would probably find this some appreciation that you might even even know about it is the jazz master guitar Mm -hmm. which was kind of developed in like the 50s and 60s 58 was the first year for it and the intention of that guitar was for jazz players yeah yep and jazz wasn't even really like something that did electric guitars in 58 it was not popular so it ended up being that the jazz master was moot in so many different ways yep it was and that's when it got picked up by like surf rockers in the early 60s and like people because it had a very specific kind of tonal quality to it and stuff like that and it i mean there's a lot of rock that came out of the sounds you can make from a jazz master yeah but it's funny that it found its space somewhere else outside of its intended realm right and so really in terms of miles davis utilizing you know instrumentation like guitars um, and even synthesizers in albums like In a Silent Way and Bitches Brew, that was such a big influential thing, both for jazz music, jazz fusion, and rock music in a lot of ways, because jazz music was kind of coming out of its element at that point in the late 60s and the early 70s. Rock music was the thing that was becoming kind of the big thing at that point in time. And so jazz was falling out, and they had to do something to make jazz music listenable to a modern audience effectively and so really there's a for the fact that he was willing to kind of push forward and do something that people maybe weren't even looking for it i mean that influenced jazz that influenced post-rock that influenced ambient music that influenced just so many different things so i i personally really enjoyed the electric period bitches brew is one of my favorite albums yeah it's really phenomenal I think it's interesting in and of itself as a jazz album. It becomes more experimental in, in terms of jazz in and of itself, not just in the other noises and other instrumentation and other things that come into it. In and of itself as an album that goes deeper into the sounds of traditional jazz, even in some ways. So that's really that was that album is just phenomenal, honestly. It's just really good. It was really one of the first jazz albums that I got really into. That was one of the the two albums of his that really stuck with me, and I'll probably return several times to that and uh, uh, the blue one. Was the kind blue? of blue, kind of kind blue, of blue. Also yes. really great. Regarded as probably like the most important jazz album of all time, mm-hmm. and it has might as well get it out of the way now. My favorite song by him. Hit it. Uh, so what? I'm a little surprised because Dex, I thought honestly that the one that you would pick would be off of Sketches of Spain. Oh yeah, which one? I, any of them. Any, okay, <laughs> any yeah. of them. That's fair. The sound of Sketches of Spain just seems like something that would have intrigued you, I guess. That's fair. I just I really like that song. It's very good. Sketches of Spain is also really good, though. Those are probably like the I have a I would say I have a top four Miles albums I enjoy yeah. most, and it would be. Bitches Brew, 
kind of blue sketches of Spain and of course Porgy and Bess. So mm. good. So very good. Oh, we Porgy will talk Bess. about Porgy and Bess. So good. Came out the year before kind of blue, by the way. My four is Bitches Brew, Kind of Blue, Silent Way, and Sketches of Spain. Pretty close. Three overlaps. Yeah. Yeah. Jared, did any of them stand out to you, actually? Anything? A kind of Blue was good. That's. I mean, obviously, it's... I listened to some of the uh, soundtrack he did for the Jack Johnson uh, documentary film, which I thought was pretty good. They kind of talked about that in the... I watched a movie yesterday called uh, Miles Ahead, directed by Don Cheadle, starring Don Cheadle, playing Miles Davis, and they uh, had some clips of him uh, watching a Jack Johnson fight. He's the first black heavyweight uh, boxing champion, and they did a documentary about him in like 71, and uh, Miles Davis composed that. So I listened to some of that. That was I enjoyed that. I liked that, that story of Jack Johnson, and um, he liked... Like Miles Davis, they both like to date white women. And at the time, neither of those time periods, it was acceptable. Uh, Miles Davis is an interesting fellow. He bought a very expensive car and called the police to let them know he bought that car (laughs) so that they would not pull him over and say, hey, whose car is this? He's like, hey, it's my car. I'm like, no, right now. That's great. I love that. It's a big move and I love it. Yeah. So there was an interview that we watched where the interviewer was actually able to get Miles Davis to kind of speak a little bit more because Miles Davis was kind of resistant to interviews just in general over his career. He was not, I don't know how you would even describe it. He just, he was hard, it was hard for him to open up and he didn't yeah. really talk a lot. Right. Uh, it was the Dick Cabot show. <clears throat> Thank you. And uh, on the show at the same time was none other than Mr. Nicholas Cage. No oh boy. And Nicholas Cage was trying to play a trumpet in front of Miles Davis and he did not know what he was doing. How how can you look like a fool more than to try and play something in front of the man that is best known for that thing? It's true. It's yeah. awful. But anyways, uh what what story did you want me to tell? So the story about um him being pulled over. Yes. And then uh, what did they say? You just tell it because I don't remember. I, all I was going to say is uh, during the interview, Dick Cavett gave him the license plate. Yeah. That said, I own it. Yeah. That's great. That's funny. It was pretty good. I liked that interview quite a bit. Yeah. He he definitely got him to speak a little bit. But like I think that the, the unfortunate part about the interview was that his microphone wasn't working very well. Yeah. So was, like, I would love to play something from the interview, but like, you just can't hear can't it. Can't hear it. No, that's a shame. During that interview, uh, he did bring a quote up, and I thought it was hilarious. Yes. They said, uh, leave out the vibrato because you'll get old someday and shake anyway. There you go. That's, <laughs> that's funny. Good. That's funny. Yeah. Well, he's known for promoting that because that's how he was taught when he was first taught. Mm he just taught to leave out the vibrato. His his instructor, who was a a band leader and a trumpet man man himself, he said every time he used vibrato, he used to slap his knuckles. Nice, huh? I uh, speaking of the band leader portion of things, what, did you guys notice anything kind of interesting about like the band that he would incorporate into his music? Like well, did his you initial sextet had many. I mean, he had Charlie Parker in there. He had John Coltrane in there. He right. had a lot of like big jazz names. Herbie yeah. Hancock. That, yeah, Herbie Hancock was in there. He And they rotate, which is pretty standard in jazz a lot of times during that period, rotating people in and out of different groups playing with different people. But it's like, yeah. in ways, I know that um, Charlie Parker was kind of like his, his guy he looked up to initially. Uh, but then it seems like once he met him, it seems almost like Miles is like a catalyst for a lot of people's careers in a way. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and no, his, for and, sure. And their work through his sextet. Uh, it's like jazz was explained to them in a different way, it seems. And they could take what they've learned in there and, and they branch out and they can do their own thing and then create their own identity. But he kind of, I don't know. I don't know if it was, I mean, everyone could, I guess, could pull from everyone else, really, when you think about it. Because there were those are just some huge names. I mean, Coltrane's a huge name that people throw around. Some people don't always recognize, like, more people today, maybe some Charlie Parker or some of the older names that people aren't as familiar with. But it's weird. I was actually surprised to see that Coltrane was a member of his group I for know. a significant period of time. Quite a bit of time. I mean, he was on across a, f- a couple of albums mm-hmm. and was a part of his, you know, his group on many occasions. And, like, how do you get a better jazz collection than having Coltrane and Davis playing at the same time. Like, 
Yeah. What? <laughs> yeah, it's wild. It's wild to think about that that's how it works. But it kind of seems like what I found from reading throughout his life is like you just kind of float in and out of situations where you're just playing with different people. Right. And then if it works and you like to do it, you just keep doing it for a while. So sometimes you get like little magical bits like that that last for a while. And then jazz is also an art form where and you can we can learn it from, you know, studying Miles Davis's discography where, you know, you can innovate at any point, you know, and at some point what you two are creating together uh, is over. It's just over. Mm-hmm. And then you move on to do something else. And that's like hip hop kind of is like that in some ways. We've talked about it. Um, how it's collaborative, but jazz is like probably the great collaborative genre. You know what I mean? Where you can just come in and, and someone can bring something to something and when it's over, it's over and that's fine. You can go out and do something else somewhere else. And maybe if you come back at some point later on, you can create something different. You know, it's just really interesting the way that you, that it's like a free flowing, like an organism almost it jazz in and of itself. Yeah. And I mean, really when it comes down to it with Miles Davis, you know, he wasn't always like the centerpiece of every you know, part of a song, you know, like, of course, you know, him, him playing was a, an important piece of it, but him being a band leader was also a big piece of it. Like there are parts of songs in bitches brew where when you're listening, you can hear him like keeping the beat, like by snapping, like in the middle of the song, you can hear him like whispering, like mm-hmm. directions to people mm-hmm. sometimes. And what he would do, no, that's on- him talking at full volume. <laughs> Good point. Good point. Um, what he would do is when he would go into an album, he wouldn't, or a song, anything, he wouldn't necessarily say like, all right, this is what this entire song looks like, you know, note for note, word for word. No word. Jared would have been happy if there was. Um, he would just kind of give an idea, like a rough sketch of what that song looked like. And then he would kind of let everybody improvise and let that song breathe and flow in its own way. And so, you know, he had to have a very, very strong crew of people playing music with him that he could trust. You have to have a John Coltrane on saxophone to be able to say, oh, yeah, like, I trust that you can handle this saxophone, you know, solo after I finish my trumpet solo, you know, like, because you have to be able to be ready to improvise and go forward with it. And it wasn't just, I mean, it happened in the electric period, too, like, you know, on an album like Bitches Brew, like uh, Chick Carrera, um, was another jazz instrumentalist who was on piano for that album, and he went on to have a career. So it wasn't even just like you know the early periods of time. He was influencing jazz for decades by having people coming into his crew. Yeah, basically the entirety of his career up to the up to like that five years he took off in like the late seventies, early eighties. It was just a whole because he was make. I mean, he was on the forefront of change, in a way of jazz during that whole time period. So. I mean, it's, it's difficult to look. I mean, people just look to him. You look to him to see what to do, or your experiences with him make you think a little differently, and then you can make your own changes. So it's really I, what it makes me think of a little bit is reading about the epic, about Kamasi Washington's The Epic, how the three different, when you own it on vinyl, it's three discs, and each disc is like its own album representing a different period in the life of those jazz musicians in a way, and their experiences and what they've learned. And like them as individuals, as, as jazz players, as musicians have done the same thing, you know, in today. And you can look back and pull elements from here and, you know, do this or that. But like someone is always pushing forward. Something is always pushing forward. And in that time period, like he was one of those main guys that was doing all of that. He definitely was. He was at the forefront of so many different periods of time of jazz music where, Jazz was going in a different direction, and therefore Miles Davis was at the forefront of it. I mean, you you mentioned the modal period where kind of blue comes in. That's such an, an important piece of musical history in so many different ways. Like, I I feel like Tyler, you'd probably be the best person to speak on like how like that system works. I guess. Yeah, it's well instead of being based off of like more complex chord progressions. And then working on those chord progressions for improvisation, it works off like modes, modes of like uh, a period of of time where you have one certain uh, like idea over the course of, of that portion of a song. And then you utilize different types of scales that come in and out in different ways to improvise and create melody. And it's not all heavily based off of uh, like the dense musical context of, uh, you know, all of these ran- like difficult chord progressions. So it what it what it 
excuse me, what it does is it kind of like allows more space. It floats a yeah, little bit. It, it doesn't does. resolve the way playing in a normal scale would. Right. And it, and it allows more room to kind of let things let things open up and, and get a little more interesting. And it allows you to improvise in different ways, in different utilizing different scales, utilizing different um because what happened was the guy who kind of developed the modal thing, he also developed scales to go along with certain right. mode that were separated from what people were utilizing previously because it was all based off of chord progressions, you know, minor scales, major scales of a certain fashion. Can, so, can I do a thing real quick? Yeah, go for it. So the, the modes, I, I don't remember the names of them, but basically, so a C scale is. So that's a C scale. Uh, C scale in uh, Dorian mode. Is that is that starting on D? Starting on two? I don't remember. I think something like that. It's the same notes, but started one note later, and it has a totally different feel. It's all airy. That's that's why it feels different. Yeah, it ends one it ends uh, one note higher. Yeah, yeah. is what it does. It starts on two and ends on eight instead of one and seven. Yeah, so it's. I mean, it's dra- drastically different because it just changes. It changes. It's like getting a new playbook. That's exactly what it is. It's like getting a new playbook where you have all of these different combinations of of things that you can do that were no long were not there to begin with. So it's, I mean, it's impossible for something like that to not sound different. Now, whether it sounds new and fresh and catches on or whatever, is kind of up to the artist. You know what you bring into it from previous iterations of things or what you bring into it from the little bits and quirks that make you who you are if you're popular such as he was but it's just i mean it's just for me when you listen to that era miles davis it's what a lot of people assume jazz is right so i one thing that i thought was important to think about from kind of the playlist that i developed here was this idea of all jazz sounds the same. And I think that a lot of people have that mentality. And I'm not I'm not calling like a Jared out or anything. Because I, I know didn't that say you... it all sound the same. Hmm? <laughs> Did I say it all sounded the same? No, but some people oh. would, and I feel like that's something that like I don't want to be an example. <laughs> I don't want to call was, you was, out, Jared, but exactly you. No, yeah. what I was trying to say, I didn't know if that's how you felt. And so I was trying to say, like, I'm not calling you out. I if certainly that's how you wouldn't feel. say it. Well, good. I'm glad you wouldn't. Um, good, because you'd be wrong. Yeah. Jared, geez. But, like, kind of blue is kind of what most people would think of when they think of jazz. Yes. But the reason for that is because of kind of blue. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it's not a case that, you know, he was following the pattern of jazz music and therefore his music sounded the same as everything else. Everything followed suit from kind of blue. Right. When it really came down to it. And even he didn't stick with it completely because Sketches of Spain is a totally different album. And that was the next album that he released. So, like, you know, he wasn't, I don't know. Like, the, the, the whole out, like, the whole playlist kind of shows, you know, he sounds like this in, you know, around about midnight. And then he changes again in Kind of Blue. Then he changes again in Sketches of Spain. Then he changes again on a silent way. And he's constantly developing this new sound for jazz in a way that makes it clear that not all jazz really sounds the same. There's such a diverse level of music and tonal quality that happens through the whole genre that he, in a lot of ways, kind of made what it was. I mean, obviously, there are a lot of huge names in jazz that came before him. And jazz was like the thing before Miles Davis. Yeah, it was popular music. It was what popular music was jazz, even with vocals. You know, even the older, some of the old songs you hear that people sing over are jazz songs. Right. You know, uh, and it's what's also really cool about it that plays into this is that the instruments that are typically used in jazz are more widely known and, and played throughout the world. So every little nook and cranny that has these instruments as something that they're familiar with can bring their own feel into the music. I really like Latin jazz. Because it brings a little more like rhythmic stuff into it, mm-hmm. and it and it and it's like it's like dance jazz. You know what I'm saying? Because it has a little. It's got that thing you want to move in a different way. African and, jazz has a similar kind of thing, right? Because they bring in different beats and rhythms, and, right? Yeah. That come into it. You know, the Latin jazz is like a groove 
type of situation that's driven a little more heavily by certain instruments and a little more heavily by certain types of beats and but everyone can kind of bring their own little thing into it and it's funny because throughout the course of his career he kind of explores all of those things i mean sketches of spain is the closest thing you're going to get to a miles davis latin jazz album and i think that's really fun because you know by exploring those you get to bring yourself into those worlds and you just and what's that's what's so crazy is you just intertwine with it you know miles davis intertwines with latin jazz and what comes out is sketches of spain which is neither straight latin jazz or straight miles davis you know it's some kind of amalgamation of the two and it becomes its own thing and it pushes people forward and makes people think differently about what both of them are so that and that's like a testament to his ability and a testament to the genre at the same time you got some interesting there uh yeah i uh let's, i watched this clip cuz i was talking about you know how he composed films he did a movie called uh, Elevator to the Gallows. It's also called Lift to the Scaffold. Uh, and he did this a scene that is described by music critic Phil Johnson as the loneliest trumpet sound you will ever hear and the model for sad core music ever since. Hear it and weep. Oh, boy. Caleb's getting ready to play it. Now that is uh, you need probably context to understand the scene, potentially. She's walking down the street looking for uh, a, a man, I believe that she's having an affair with, or something like that. And uh, he does not show up. He ends up choosing, I believe, the other woman. Oh my. Makes it sadder knowing that. Uh, but it, I mean, I guess it just kind of it doesn't have to just be albums. It could be film as well, where he takes his talent to. And he challenged himself throughout his entire career of like to be the best jazz musician, you know, or one of the most well um, respected jazz musicians and be like, okay, I can't keep doing the same thing over and over. So I want to try this. And, you know, like he was in movies as well. He acted. He was in the movie Scrooged with Bill Murray. Oh, he was as uh, as a street musician. And Bill Murray in the movie is like, why don't you learn to get a real job or something like that? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and he's like yelling at Miles Davis. It's a very brief scene, but I found it. It is very brief. But um, I don't know. It's just it's interesting to try and find other things that are not just what we listen to. Well, he uh, was an artist as well, mm-hmm. physical art. Yeah, he painted, right? Yeah, like Bob Dylan did. He did. He painted a lot. Ringo Starr, perhaps. Yeah. Yes. Happy birthday. Ringo. We missed his we birthday. We did miss it. It's sad. I watched some of it. It was pretty good. The live stream did of you? his birthday celebration. 80. 80 years old. Happy what? birthday, Ringo. Happy birthday. We should send I, him a birthday card. That's what I was thinking. No more birthday cards. <laughs> peace and love. That's how, we, that's how we started the thing, peace and love. He started everything with peace and love. <clears throat> did you read about how Miles Davis died? Yes. What an insane thing. It's a little wild. The doctor suggested that he have a tracheal tube implanted to relieve his breathing after repeated bouts of bronchial pneumonia. The suggestion provoked an outburst from Miles Davis that led to an intracerebral hemorrhage, which then followed uh, by a coma. So he, he was so mad that the doctors would suggest this surgery that he yelled at them. And gave himself a hemorrhage in his brain that yes. led to his death. Yeah, he got so angry he died. Yes. He did. I I don't I can't think of another instance that someone got so angry that they died. I'm sure that uh, there's other instances. I like that they I like that they uh, toned it down by saying it. Uh, you know, he had an episode essentially is what he. Yeah. <laughs> well, he never would have been able to play trumpet after that, would he? No, that would. No, of course not. He wouldn't have any control over the airway, yeah. I would assume. Unless I, he 
did what he always did. I, I pushed forward and learned and learned to play trumpet through a tracheal tube. That would have been interesting. I hate to say this, but he also could have never played the trumpet again if he was dead. Yeah, yeah that's so very true. You kind of got to decide. That's very true. Yeah. He could have led the band. When was that? It was in September of '91, I believe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. At that point, I think he was focusing more heavily on his on his art anyway. But you know. Well, yeah, he again, sold uh, paintings to friends. Lionel Richie bought a painting. I watched this uh, 60 Minutes interview that he did, and uh, he was talking about his paintings. They go for like 20 grand back then, and then in the early or the late 80s, early 90s era, and uh, that's a lot of money for art mm-hmm. for old Miles Davis. I'd like to get me a Miles Davis print in my house somewhere. Mm. Speaking of getting something from Miles Davis, Jared, I know it's tough, mm. but can I get a favorite song or a favorite moment? From Miles Davis. Doesn't have to be anything long. Could even be just like a like that's all you like, that's fine with me. I like the <laughs> idea of the song John McLaughlin. Oh, because I do, yeah. on Bitches Brew. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because that's his guitarist name. Yep. Yes. So it he is. just named it. Imagine having so many albums that you have to name songs and there's no words. So it's just based on a feeling you have when you wrote it or a feeling you had when you listened to it or something like that. Mm-hmm. How does he name songs? How do people that don't have any words name songs? Do we know? It's a great question. Yeah, whatever. It's about inspiration for the song. So he just named it after his guitarist. You know who named the song? You know who else has named songs after their people? Who's that? Fugazi. Oh, that's nice. Of course. Uh, Take a drink, everybody. Take a drink. I have a very funny thing to tell you. Funny Valentine? After we play the song, okay? I also would have liked to have played Someday My Prince Will Come, the song from Cinderella. (laughs) that's a good one all right uh yeah let's play a little bit of what was it again john mclaughlin mclaughlin i i I feel like i always pronounce the last name wrong so i want to make sure that you said it so i there's a singer named uh, he's like a kind of a um pop singer not really pop uh, what's that called like radio pop i think his name's john mclaughlin sarah mclaughlin that's a different person too that's who you're thinking of in the arms of the angel Only right, you let's, let's play John McLaughlin. That song, Jared. Is it like the basis for Hey Arnold? No. Oh. <laughs> that was what I was no. guessing. Did you notice that there was any instrument missing? Was it guitar? No. What was it missing? Trumpet? That's correct. He's that is on the it? only song that Miles Davis is not on in Bitches Brew. Oh my. What so did I do? Your favorite Miles Davis song. It's not doesn't even have, have Miles Davis. It's Davis not even song. really my favorite song. Is this the song I wanted to play? That makes total sense. I understand. Will you play the Hey Arnold theme song? <laughs> Yes, I can play the Hey Arnold theme song. But do the one, do it with no lyrics. Nope. Yeah, no lyrics. Hey Arnold! Hey Arnold! Hey football head! Is it, did she say can it football head? Is that what she said? Move she it football head. Move it football head. And if I could convince you to play the simple things. <laughs> Actually, there's a whole there's a whole playlist called Hey Arnold Vibes Chill Instrumental Jazz. I saw that. There you go. I had a song oh. that reminded me of Hey Arnold too. It was a D'Angelo song from Black Messiah. Oh. Hey, look at that. There's a song from, from Miles Davis. Kind of yeah. blue. Yeah. Blue and green is on See? here. Well, he Who knew growing jazz up in it? Like uh, that I know. was part of his character. There yeah. was a whole episode where he's like listening to jazz. Mm-hmm. Uh, There's some Harry. really good jazz music on this Hey Arnold playlist. Yeah, you're gonna have to go to YouTube for what we want. I know. Yeah, I, I know. just wanted to see. But name, can you believe, name, like, growing up, we that... all watched Hey Arnold growing up as kids. I, I assume we all did. Everybody should. If not, go back in time. But go back in time. Uh, That's the most that sound we, advice I think you've provided thus far. That we um are like. Our, one of our my favorite cartoons as a child, the theme song is a jazz theme song, mm-hmm. which a lot of I guess a lot of theme songs are. You know, a lot of uh, theme songs are composed. You know, they're not Bowling for Soup doing the Phineas and Ferb. You know, or the, the like, Queer Queens doing theme songs for yeah. uh, 
A lot of them are composed songs, and a lot of people did theme songs. Like that was their whole job is composing uh, theme songs. So a lot of people did different ones, but uh, it's just interesting that I mean, ja- like Gerald and, and and Arnold, both pretty cool cucumbers. They that, get it, man. They get it. They are. It is full of jazz characters, isn't it? Really, mm-hmm. when you think about it. that off before Nickelodeon sees us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I feel uh, like I'm turning into Hey Arnold. Well, your head seems to be the same shape. Uh, yeah. Oof. I got like a smart room. He would have had a smart house, you know. That room the, like, was so sick. Yeah, he had a, he had the couch that goes up. This Skylight. is off topic, but I mean, it's important. Skylight was pretty nice. Yeah. He's goals. Hashtag goals, Hey Arnold style. Uh, did anybody listen to um, anything off? I know Tyler did something. Uh, did anybody listen to anything off of like the kind of longer playlist? Yeah, that was whatever you had in the beginning of the thing when I was listening to it. Right, and then but I, I think I caught it now. before. It's been two weeks. You got anywhere? So oh, I don't know about that. You uh, you didn't catch it for me. I know I didn't. I got places. So what all did you listen to then, Tyler? Let me, let me get to because I know you haven't talked about something that you want to talk about. Uh, that's true. I haven't. I'll, you want to talk about that now? Yes. Okay, we'll talk about Porgy and Bess. It's so awesome. I love George Gershwin. He's really fun and, and interesting, and I think that his, the music that he created for the modern operas that he did is really great. And when I saw uh, this, I was introduced to this album uh, at the record store in Muncie at Village Green Records. I walked in there, and I flipped through the jazz bin, which is in the back of the store. It's not super big. It's got a small new jazz section, but a larger used section. Flipping through there, flipping through there, see this? I go, you know what? Miles Davis is good. Everyone knows that. And I saw that it was Porgy and Bess, and I was like, I got to grab it. So I did. It's phenomenal. It's undoubtedly phenomenal. It came out in 1958, the year prior to Kind of Blue. It was his second uh, collaboration with Gil. Gil Evans, is that right? That's correct. And uh, many people have lauded it as his best collaboration with Gil Evans. It's a full reworking, uh, basically, into jazz improvisations of... The music from the opera from Gershwin's 39, I think, opera, Porgy and Bess, which uh, I will say for me, part of the other reason I got it it too was because when I was in elementary school, we had music class. I'm sure you all had similar experiences. You didn't, well, except for Caleb and Jerry because they're homeschooled, like a bunch of homeschooled. And in my music class, I had a. On that note, by the way, everybody homeschool your kids this year. Every True. single one of you homeschooled. Wear a homeschool mask while you're doing it, even. But don't Just for, to be safe. Don't forget to teach about the arts and music because it's important. That's right. My, Have them listen to Borgian Best. Right. It, I mean, it will stimulate their brains. Sure will. My uh, music teacher when I was in fourth and fifth grade was a man named Mr. Hurstbrunner. He was an older, a tall, lanky, older man with white hair. He wore a bow tie every day and brown orthopedic shoes. And he played the piano, and he sat very proper at the piano. And he said, uh, when you sing, you don't pronounce it R's. When you say iron, you say iron, iron. And I'm like, okay, fine. But he made us listen to and uh, probably also sing Summertime from Porgy and Bess, which is one of the very popular songs. It's also been sampled in a way uh, by Sublime, for those of you who want to be all this or that about it. Uh, so that song always stuck with me from there as well. So. It's one of the reasons I picked it up. It is just so good. It's so very good. And the thing about it is, is because it is is an opera, a, a modern opera, which is uh, kind of what we would call musical today, really, when you think about it. Yes. He, Miles Davis, or anyone who reworks it, because during that time period uh, that that came out, there was a film adaptation of that that had to come out. And many people had done jazz adaptations and reworkings of some of the the songs or the entire thing on there so it was kind of popular so it was a bit of a popular move for him at the period to do such a thing but in order to do it you have to not only get the musical aspects of it that make up uh, the ambiance of a scene that you get in the original music but you also have to add the singing and the lyrical portion to it and that's where you kind of can he has a little bit of fun doing some improv improvisational things but it's cool because you always have to tie back into the melody that comes along with that as well. So I think he just did a really phenomenal job of working in 
the melody, working in the harmony, and coming back to it, but also getting far enough away to be like, this is something that's not what I've heard before. I also uh, deeply appreciate the fact that uh, Porgy and Bess also had perhaps one of the greatest musical collaborations of all time. Uh, you know, rework that album as well in Ella Fitzgerald and Louis Armstrong. Mm-hmm. You really can't beat that right there. Was Miles Davis a part of that one? Or, or no? No. No, I don't believe so. So he just did... Miles Davis did his version. Ella Fitzgerald and Louis Armstrong did Did his version. have words? Miles Davis? No, no. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm saying. The, the lyrics <laughs> were taken up by mm-hmm. trumpet or oh, other wow. instruments, improvisation, and then... Interesting. It's hard to sing through a trumpet. <laughs> well, it's it's not, though. Uh, what's funny about that, Jared, is that what you learn, uh, this is quite interesting, because uh, what you learn about diving into guitar effects and understanding their origins is that for years and years and years, and this is years as in, like, uh, decades and, and uh, centennials. Eons, not three years. People have been attempting to create musical instruments that mimic the human voice. Mm-hmm. And trumpet is one that, uh, gets relatively close based off of where it lies. Yeah, you suck a bunch. Based off of <laughs> based off of where it lies uh, in the spectrum of sound, right? Uh-huh. So it's actually a pretty useful instrument to use to perform those parts. Hmm. Would you like to play a song off of Porgy and Bess? We can play something in time if you want. I, I won't, I won't take away your favorite it's song. It's not. I, my favorite song that I will choose is going to be a different song. That's if fine. you want to play one off Porgy and Bess, I would like to. We can play that one. Or if you have one you prefer. No, Summertime is great. Davis said about John Coltrane. What? Coltrane was a very greedy man. Bird was too. He was a big hog. <laughs> nice. Very good. Very pleasant. He was a sizable guy, but you know, he was a big dude. I get it. Well, Miles Davis was a little man. He was a little man. Anybody was bigger than Miles Davis. You could just pick him up like a trumpet. It's true. <laughs> That's why he played the trumpet. Couldn't yeah. hold the trombone. Or a sax. Oh my goodness. That's okay. the size of a... Of a of a Davis, Miles Imagine, Davis. That's the size of him with Miles. a tuba. Ooh. 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 Or a sousaphone. <laughs> Don't even try the tuba. You know, there's another song on Porgy and Bess that I forgot about, the fact that reminds me of something. We'll see if we keep it or not, but I want to see if you if if you can get it. Okay. It's uh, Bess, You Is My Woman Now. Okay. Play that song. Caleb thinks he has it, but I don't know. No, if he there's does. like three things that it felt like I could All have right. heard. So the the one that I noticed first was right there at the beginning. Did anybody notice? No. What that tune was? That was uh, I'll tell you what. Nintendo's got a way of stealing things too, because the the tune right there at the beginning, which is a, a a little melody that's repeated throughout the song, is one of the songs from Ocarina of Time, Zelda Ocarina mm. of Time. What? Okay. Yep. Wait, which one? I don't remember because I didn't have time to look you, it up. I just noticed it earlier today because I listened to that album on the way down as well. And I was like, wait a minute. Can you play that again? Yeah, wait. absolutely. Is that uh, a Pona's song? It may be a Pona's song. Look it up. Is that little not sex or anything? <laughs> there you go. Yeah, that was it. All right, ma- master of the that sounds familiar. Pass or fail. Pass. All right. Oh, Look at that. I'm humbled. 
Should be. What else did you think it was, Caleb? I don't know. There was like so many different things that like I heard it and I was like, that's what that could be. I have no idea though. What's that song? Uh, It's the do 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 do. Yeah, that's what I heard too. What is that's what I heard. The Star Spangled Banner. Yeah, that's what I heard. Star Spangled Banner for sure. That's jazz. Well, let's listen to Star Spangled Banner again now. This that part right there. Yeah. Maybe a little of the beginning, a little of the tonality of it. Huh? That's just what I was. I when you ask that. somebody to to try and find something, that's you're, you're trying. Yeah. He. Yeah. Well, if there's anything I be. know, it's the Star Spangled Banner. Yeah. That's right. All right. We've spent way too much time on Best You Is My Woman now. Tyler, right. favorite song. Okay. My, I think you know it's quite difficult because, well, there's a couple of reasons. One, because each song really the they're longer yes. and they can shift back and forth through For different sure. melody harmony combinations and yes. they can have parts that are you know so it's quite difficult but i think the one i'm going to choose and i'm going to choose it because i find it to be um a little more experimental as a whole and i think it has some really int- i like the noises in it is what i'm going to say because i think they're fun it's it's fio the closing track to bitches brew are you playing at the beginning yeah i, I want you to skip into any random moment Boy, howdy, do I love bitches, bro. Wasn't that good? Wasn't that good, Jared? It was good. Oh, you the man. What is that <laughs> thing in the background, though? It's like we a may, dog. We may never, yeah, we may never know. Was it, was I believe it? Miles Davis carried that to his grave. I believe he was asking multiple interviews, and he said, "Well, never revealed the dog yip secret." It was a Kawika. of nineteen seventy. Was Ooh, it a Kawika. I wanted one of those at one point. If I, you had one now, then you could have demonstrated to us how he was doing it. I almost bought one, and Caleb talked me out of it. It was like sixty dollars. Mm. It's a Kawika. We were in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah, well, you recently wanted it. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Um, Anywho, that song has all the weirdness in it. That's the weirdest song on that album, I think. I think so too. Yeah, uh, mine is also off of Bitches Brew, which is Bitches Brew that track. Also, uh, and one. I have a very, very specific like point in time. It's one of those more experimental like moments in the song, and for whatever reason, like like if I was ever like, man, I don't know if I would know a, bi- a, a Miles Davis song if I heard it. If I heard this part of Bitches Brew, I'd be like, that's Bitches Brew. I know that one. don't know why but i love that sound pretty good i love that sound it's fun to see because he's i mean by 1970 the effects that we have on for guitar in psych music are starting to increase in what we've used in like surf rock with reverb and now he's starting to use some of those effects like through studio bands of course into jazz and it's just fun man some reverb and delay and like weird stuff in there it's pretty cool he did some odd stuff with his music that's for sure Jared, did you have any other like weird bits that you wanted to talk about? N- not that I can think of. It didn't nothing like not a lot of stuff stuck out with the music of like oh I want to go back to that. I wish I, I wish that I would have found more things like that. But I I don't know I just like the it was some of the stuff was interesting, but it just didn't stick out enough for me to. And the other problem is. We listened. I listened to it like two weeks ago, right? Because we had a delay uh, with the health issues and such, and so we listened. We did the other episode last week, and so it is not as fresh uh, on my mind. That'll happen. So that again, if I, I mean, you can't do anything about it, right? But you guys did a good job. Well, thank oh, you. you. I knew that I wouldn't be able to carry this episode. <laughs> I just knew, but I did my best. To carry it? No, to talk. <laughs> to do his, to do what he needed. If you were trying to carry his, due, di- his due diligence. No, you did. You did great. 
Thanks. Everybody pat yourself on the back because that's what this show is all about. Yeah. Oh, that movie I brought up earlier, Miles Ahead, directed by Don Cheadle. It was filmed in Cincinnati, Ohio. He oh. said he liked the uh, Don Cheadle said he liked a lot of the um, the landscape of the city. Really, I didn't notice watching it. Uh, Amelia must have gotten him. Yeah, Amelia must have got to him. Mm-hmm. The Mighty Duck Man pulls another. Amelia Estevez, great lives, man. Yeah, but he lives here, you know. Brother of Charlie Sheen, not the same last name though. Don't bring that up. Uh, before we close, we got uh, a message from Patreon, uh, Patron John. Uh, he wants us to bring up uh, the old lady from Billy Madison who says, if peeing your pants is cool, consider me Miles Davis. <laughs> Solid choice. I will admit to you that uh, throughout the course of this week, I told my current boss I'm listening to Miles Davis, and he repeated that line. I've been repeated that line multiple times throughout the course of the week. Wow. Yeah. Sh- should we play that clip? Yes. Why not? If peeing your pants is cool, consider me Miles Davis. Oh, that was the grossest thing I've ever heard in my life. Let's go. Get on the bus here. Move it. Get up there. Dial one, two, five, seven. I know you wanted to keep watching. It's okay. That's, that's fine. For context, what what was going on there? Do we know? Yeah, that's where... Uh, he, he, the little kid peed himself. Yeah. And so he... I believe he took a hose, oh, yeah, he went sprayed to... himself all over, and was like, I peed myself too. And all the kids were like, oh, cool. Peeing your pants is cool. You're not cool uh, unless you pee your pants. That's what I'm what saying. A great, I love that. What a great oh, message. Oh, it's, my name is Adam Sandler. Stop that. That was definitely one of Adam Sandler's movies. <laughs> yeah. Certainly one of his films. Oh, his only movie worth watching is so Eight cool. Crazy Nights. Oh, my. Also one of his movies where people pee themselves drunkenly. That's, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Mr. Deeds is okay. I like that scene like where it. he does that thing with the foot. Yeah, I was going to bring up that scene where, he's, <laughs> where he lets him stab him with the yeah. poker. Yeah, great. I love that. Yeah. Fun. Later, that guy said, you we stole have, my story. We have the same brain. We have the same brain. Occasionally. On that note... Thank you for listening to this week's edition of Record Roundtable. This week we were talking about Miles Davis. Next week we're going to be talking about Prince. Check out all of our social media bits. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, so on and so forth. Check out our website, recordroundtable.com. We've got some pretty cool articles and whatnot. Check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash recordroundtable. Thank you for listening to this episode and goodbye.